0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney's message titled Walking Worthy comes out of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Jukebox heroes to pawn through my, uh, here it is. I mean, this is pristine, right? The Foreigner album. This one's going to go for a lot of money, and it'll feed a lot of people and do stuff at Christmas time, so just get ready, okay? Whew, look at the hair on those guys. They got that flowy Jesus hair, you know, That those pictures that are, oh my gosh, these are good looking guys. Now they're all old and crusty. Probably in our Early 70s, I guess. I don't know. Man, they got hair. Anyway, th- th- this listen to some of these songs. Maybe you recognize them on this album. Um, Double Vision. <laughs> oh, Double Vision, Hot-Blooded. Oh, man, I Have Waited So Long. Lonely, that's a great one. Love Has Taken Its Toll, hasn't it? Love Has Taken Its Toll. Spellbinder, um... On and on here. So anyway, okay. So, uh, jukebox hero is you know it's such a great song about the, you know somebody just being really motivated to learn how to play the guitar, to get a guitar, and then uh, yeah, and we're all looking for that, right? We're all looking for some kind of hero. I feel like, and and we want to be heroes. All those all those kinds of things, and we feel like. Um, Something's going to get us there. Um, Yeah. So every time I think, you know, oh, man, maybe things will, you know, kind of settle down. Just doesn't happen, does it, during the week? So we've had a really interesting week. I think we're in for a few more things. It doesn't matter what side of the political fence or where you lean and things like that. I'm certain that it's not over. (laughs) Oh, my, my goodness. And um, there's sure to be more upheaval of some kind and trauma. That's just the way it's kind of going in our culture, right? And um, I guess in a lot of ways, rightly so. Otherwise, a number of weeks ago, the message I was preaching about the pandemic and things like this, either God is sovereign and in control and directing things, or He's not sovereign and He's not in control. So I think that God is Um, I think that what is happening is planned and ordained by God and uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't mean things like you shouldn't vote or your vote doesn't count or stuff like that. But definitely there is a lot of, um, I just think we're in for more. More division, more craziness, more upheaval. So kind of in light of that, um, I just was really thinking through you know, going through the Gospel of Matthew, just how divisive actually Jesus was. What happened when he arrived on the scene, he just began to turn things upside down immediately. And it was very divisive. He was received <clears throat> really well by lots of folks, and then there was others that he was not. And so the environment was kind of, kind of crazy. Um, because uh, how Jesus went about establishing um, the new uh, the new covenant, and how um, his message just was embraced by some and turned other people off to the point where he wanted to or they wanted to kill him. So I I have taught through uh, I, I just was thinking about what. Uh, I I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have, but I felt like I needed to just take a little bit of a side journey just for a little bit this morning out of the gospel of Matthew. I I, I just started just perusing through the gospel of Matthew where, um, where I could land, where I could draw the truth out of the text that would be helpful this week. And um, every time I try to go about that, it's it's not very good. It's not a really good way to go to study. Because you end up trying to, um, what I think where I wrestle a little bit is you end up trying to apply scripture to your thinking, right, which is not a good way to go about teaching, in particular on Sunday morning. I'd rather draw the truth out of the text and then just present it, and it should be obvious. so I, I kind of wrestled through that and uh, I started going back through some, some of my teaching and I just decided to go back to a message that I have taught a number of years ago that I didn't feel like I did a very good job with that I think really applies today. So a number of years ago, we were, we, we journeyed through the book of Ephesians and that letter that Paul writes from prison to the church in Ephesus is, I think, really applicable. And he calls the church to do and to be some things. And I thought, you know, um, this morning, uh, I, I want to go back and teach that message. I think that it's really appropriate. I prayed really hard about this. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And, and um, that's all I want to do today is I want to draw the truth out of the text. Because I think there is a message there that applies to us during this week and and all the, you know, (laughs) there's political upheaval still, right? And I think it applies to us because I think it's really important for the church and the Christ follower to have good direction. And this truth, I think, applies to us today. So Ephesians chapter 4, just the first six verses. So we're going to go through verses 1 through 6. Let's just read it together. And remember last week, I, I sort of talked to you about that word, therefore, that word therefore, in li- it means in light of or so, or because of what I've just said, I don't have a lot of time to go back and into what Paul has just said, but he's got a specific message about transformation, the transformation that you go through as a Christ follower that he's gone through and he's done a lot of teaching up to this point in this letter all right? So in light of that teaching about Jesus in the gospel, then he says this. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up, <laughs> putting up with one another in love. do <laughs> you like how that's worded? making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you two were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, like I said, I've taught through this before, and at least once, maybe twice, I didn't work too hard to find out how many actual times I've taught through this with the church, but I know one in particular, and I was just went back through my message notes and I, I just kind of went, man, I don't know if you stood on that the way you should or did a good job of that. So here's what happens. Paul starts this section out by calling attention to the fact that he's a prisoner, that's the part that I feel like I, I maybe gets lost a little bit here. He's a prisoner, and he's calling attention to the fact that he's a prisoner, not like poor me, not like, oh, you should feel sorry for me kind of thing. That's not it. I think that what he wants us to feel right here is the truth about being a Christ follower and that it is worth it. It's worth it no matter what happens in your life. It's worth it to walk worthy of our calling, the call to bring glory to Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth being imprisoned for and worth dying for. That's what I think he, that's the sort of the context and the stage he wants to set. It's worth it. Remember now, when we've gone going through the, Um, Gospel of Matthew, I've tried my best to point out just how radical being a Christ follower is, just how radical it is to actually truly be the church. It's It's a radical lifestyle. It's a radical call. It is not something you should go into with your eyes kind of not all the way open. And we probably don't do a good enough job, we, we fall short in teaching people that what Jesus is calling you to is a radical lifestyle where you're, you, you have to die. You have to give up your life, okay? You have to give up everything that means, uh, that, that we hold dearly and give it up and surrender it all. And this is what he's trying to say right here. It's worth it. He's trying to draw attention. Look, I'm in prison and, and I may die. It's worth it. So let's talk about the worth of walking worthy of our calling. So riding from prison um, is dangerous. I don't know if you've thought about that, but in, in, especially in the context, being a real Radical Christ followers risky. It's unpopular and dangerous. It was unpopular and dangerous for Paul. That's why he's actually in prison, okay? Jesus had given uh, many warnings that following him was um, safe in the long run, but dangerous in the short run. For example, in Luke chapter 21, I'll put this up here, in just these two verses, he says, But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you, handing you over to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name, Jesus is saying, right? This will be a time for you to serve as witnesses. So there is something very powerful about a testimony from prison where your life is at stake. That's the power Paul wants to put behind these words that he's calling the church to all right that he's kind of unloading on the church so my my second point is basically preserve the unity of spirit that's this is what he said he's pleading he's pleading with the church right here he's not just It's not just a suggestion. He's pleading. He's begging the church to walk worthy of our calling. Specifically, the way he wants to emphasize it is that we should, or the words he wants to emphasize. Look at verse 3. Ephesians 4, look at verse 3. Make every, that word every is really strong, effort to... Keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we walk worthy of our calling in Christ, or excuse me, we walk unworthy of our calling in Christ if we disregard the unity of the body and we don't expend any effort to safeguard what Christ died to obtain. Be diligent. This is what he's saying. Be wholehearted. Be sincere, be impassioned, be fervent, be eager, be earnest, be real, and keep the unity given by the Spirit of God and obtained with the blood of Christ. He's saying keep the unity. So this is, I think, what is on my heart and mind here because I feel like there's opportunity for the church maybe more now than ever in the midst of so much disunity in our nation, I mean, our our nation is like divided almost in half, exactly. If you just look at election results, man, it is, our, our nation is divided in half. Across the board in political thinking. And so my fear is, is that it's going to invade the church in a way that it will undermine the... the the spirit of unity and the bond of peace even within the church. I mean, you can see it. There's sometimes when I scroll through social media and I just cringe and I'm like, you don't don't say that. Why are, what are you doing? Are you just trying to poke the bear? Are you, really? It's completely unnecessary. Ephesians 2.13, look at verse 13 in chapter two. So you just have to flip back a page. Right? Look for yourself. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away, that's far from God, disconnected from the Lord, right? Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you say, in light of being changed and transformed by the blood of Christ, all right, there's some stuff. Remember the, the therefore at the beginning of chapter four? Right? But now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away and have been brought near by the blood of Christ, you know, in light of that, in light of being rescued, in light of being changed and transformed and made new and saved, in light of that, see, this is what's on Paul's heart while he's in prison. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, there's something that could really wreck the church really easily. He has a deep burden for the church at Ephesus. It makes me want to say, yes, that is utterly crucial. It makes me want to go, yeah, yeah. So how do we do this? How do we keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Because that's what people need. They don't don't need your, like, views about political whatever. His answer is found in verse 2. Of chapter 4. The character traits that will keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace are this. He just lays them out. Right? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and love. All things that I, in particular, really struggle with. What about you? Oh, yeah. Are, are you going to be one of those people that say, no, I love being humble be quiet some of you just it is your nature to be a lot more gentle very few people are very patient and then bearing with one another in love or how did he say it putting up with one another (laughs) in love I love that putting up with one another it just makes me feel like he's such a real person So he says that if you're humble, if you'll be gentle, and if you're patient, you will bear with one another. And if you're gentle and bear with one another in love, or put up with one another in love, you will be a peacemaker and a unity preserver. So be diligent and eager to be humble and patient, a a patient person by and in the power of Christ. You know, as an elder council we talk about this. It sounds simple, but I think it's the most powerful thing that we talk about. Our elder council is is their role is to shepherd the vision of Vail Christian Church. There there's a lot of different parts of that role spiritually. But one of the ways that we function as an elder council is this, is that we we do things by consensus. There's no vote, necessarily. We do it by consensus. And um, you you just know. I, I know exactly how. Mike Van Fleet or Keith Fisher thinks about something, I, I can call and I kind of already know. Or they can call and they go, hey, I think I already know what Ben thinks about this. And we would just know. I already know how Brett feels or uh, is going to view this. And so it's pretty easy to tell, right? This is what we believe, that God speaks in unity. When we are unified as an elder council, we know exactly what God wants us to do. That's the way he speaks, he speaks in unity. This is what Paul's getting at here. Now, let's talk about humility and truth. That's, that's my next point. I want you to be aware of a mistake that everybody makes. Humble does not mean wishy-washy when it comes to truth. That's not what humble means. It doesn't mean you're just, you know, kind of have this blathering attitude when it comes to truth. That's not humility. Bearing with one another, putting up with one another, or forbearing does not mean saying truth doesn't matter. It's a great mistake to confuse humility with uncertainty. And in this chapter, Paul says he wants Christ followers to, look at chapter 4 again, go down to verse 13 and 14 for yourself. I'll put it up there, but look in your Bible. So we're no longer to be children any longer carried around by the winds of teaching by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes but come to the unity of the knowledge of the son of god so in other words here the humility that leads to unity is not uncertainty and doubt and vagueness and confusion it is the demeanor that says i am not the center of everything it's not about me truth is the center of everything and I submit to the truth and I go where it leads. And I'm talking about the truth of God's word. That's the, the, uh, God's voice and God's heart right here. I'm not king. God is king. That's what it says. My will is not the law. God's word is the law. The truth is the law. I don't tell God what is acceptable to him. He tells me. I don't define the foundation of the unity of the spirit. God does. You see. God did not exalt Jesus and subject all things to him and then just simply say, Now, go ahead and fill the universe with your glory. All things with yourself. Instead, what he did, he raised him and he exalted him and he subjected all things under him. And then he made him one with the church. That's why you can go out in the woods all you want, but it's not church. You ever heard anybody say that? That's my church. That's baloney. That is not. The church is Christ's followers. Christ's followers. And so he subjected all things under him and then made him one with the church as head to the body. And he said, now my son, Jesus, you are, and, and those whom you are united as head of to the body... Go into the universe and fill it with all that you are in your body. Let everything from heaven to hell be filled with the revelation of your your glorious perfection in the form of a chosen, destined, blood-bought, called, justified, holy, glorified, and infinitely everlasting, satisfied people. Your body, the church of the living God. And there is no way, as Paul writes this from prison, if he has anything to do with it, he's going to allow anything to undermine that unity because that's where the power is. We are united with Christ. And I don't care what happens and who gets elected, good, bad, or indifferent, and where our nation is headed, this cannot be undermined by Christ followers. This is the message that we have to cling to now and forevermore. It's a part of our mission and our mandate. I did not quite expect to be so preachy today. <laughs> Can you look at number four the objective ground, the objective ground for our experience of unity? What's the objective ground? That's what he's doing in verses four through six. He gives the objective ground in reality for the subjective experience of unity that we are to pursue. The unity of the spirit that we should be so diligent for is based on a given objective, given objective unity outside of ourselves that we have nothing to do with creating or defining. It's not got anything to do with us. It's there, and we are humbly to recognize it and submit to it and live it out. Verses four through six. Look at this. There is one body, one spirit, just as you two are called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. <laughs> this, is the, this is the foundation right here. The objective foundation of our making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The culture that we live in needs us to be in unity. The unity of the Spirit of God in the bond of peace. It's peace that glues it all together. It's not a fragile, vulnerable thing, by the way. It rests on the oneness of God, who is not fragile and vulnerable. The oneness of baptism, the oneness of the body of Christ, that's Christ followers, the church. We are not and we should not be fragile. Those things are one, no matter what you or I do, or anybody else, by the way, who's elected to our country They are fixed realities. Our mission is to walk worthy of those things. Number five, what does this have to do with our mission? Let's talk about that first. What does this have to do with our mission, our purpose, our mandate, the responsibilities that we have? Right? What does it have to do with the task of the church to explain Jesus and to reach unreached people, people who are far far from God in the world that we live in, right? The answer is that since there's only one God, the Father of all who believe, that God, right, Ephesians 2.12, and only one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.2, only one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, poured out from the Father by the Son, Acts 2.33, and only one faith, faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Ephesians 1.13. And only one baptism into Christ in the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28, verse 19. And one body, the church of God gathered with Jesus as the head, Ephesians 4.15. Since there's only one God and one faith, we must take the news of this God and this faith to the community that we live in to vale to tucson to arizona our nation the world peter says i love peter i feel like i can identify with peter acts four twelve. he says and there is salvation and no one else no one else is going to save there's no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved no one you see we are connected to Jesus. Other religions and other gods, they're not going to save. You might think that this text is just about church unity and not about our mission, but it's not. It's about our mission. This issue at Ephesus back in chapter 2 is the issue of whether Gentiles could be full fellow heirs with the Jews in the body of Christ. If the non-church people could be full, full heirs in the kingdom, in the church, can you believe it? The answer was that Christ reconciled both Jews and Gentiles in one body to God through the cross. Both have access in one spirit to the Father. Those who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus and are made one. Made into one new man, right? So, the issue of unity, Paul is, uh, for Paul, is created by the mission of the church. Those who are far off, far from God. That's where I get that term, being far from God. The Gentiles, the nations, far off spiritually and far off culturally and sometimes geographically. I feel like we have drifted so far as a nation from the things of God, it's hard to recognize, isn't it? You can say it's sad all you want. All it does is embolden me about our mission and our purpose because I think God is in control of all this and he has a purpose for us. In other words, the uniqueness of Christ, the fact that there is only one Christ and only one God and one faith is the foundation of our mission outside the church and the foundation of unity inside the church. If we are not unified inside the church, we will be ineffective at our mission outside, outside the church. If there were many true gods and many saviors and many valid faiths and many baptismal entrances into many genuine bodies of redeemed people, there would not be the need for our mission the way Paul sees it. So there is only one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so the salvation truth has to be proclaimed to all creation and to all people. And you can see in Romans 10, I'm going to put these verses up. It may take a couple of slides. How the singularity and uniqueness of the lordship of Christ connects the unity of the church and the mission of the church. Look at Romans 10, verses 12 through 13. For there is no distinction between the Jews and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all who richly blesses all who call him, call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How are they to call on, on <clears throat> one they have not believed in? How are they to believe in one they have not heard of? How are they to hear without someone preaching to them? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how timely is the arrival of those who proclaim the good news. So the truth that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism is a truth for inside the church and outside the church. It's the foundation for unity inside the foundation for our mission outside. Since there's one Lord, we should be diligent to maintain the unity of spirit under that unifying Lordship. And since there is one Lord, We should be diligent to proclaim the good news. I feel like this is the environment to be reminded of this. What does it have to do with me? Let me show you. Here's the most important part of the whole thing. Here it is. If you're on one of those teams where you got to go early, don't do it. Just sit down. You leave right when the whole part is like, what's this got to do with me? Here you go. You ready? Count the cost of this truth. Believe this truth, but believe it with your eyes wide open. This is radical. Count the cost. Understand the cost of sacrificing unity and how it will undermine everything. Count the cost. Believe this truth. It's never been a popular stance that there's one Lord in all the universe who all humans must deal with. And that Lord is Jesus who lived and died and rose for once Uh, 2,000 years ago in Palestine, and knowing and trusting him alone is the only way to escape the judgment of God. It's not a popular message. So let's not let all this petty other garbage undermine that message. Number two, believing that Jesus is man's only hope has never been popular, and it is increasingly unpopular today. I'm just saying that again, right? It's an unpopular thing. So it's so unpopular, why would you... Gum it all up with your political craziness. Let's be careful of all that. If you believe it, you're going to be called arrogant, intolerant, and ignorant. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And knowing and trusting Him is the only way to heaven is a humble submission to reality. And it doesn't mean that you are ignorant when you say that there is only one way to God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It doesn't mean that. This is what Jesus came to do. Make a path to heaven for rebellious people like me. (laughs) Sinful people. And there's only one path. Number three, if you know Jesus. In other words, if the glory of God through Christ shines in your heart, if you know Jesus... You know the way, you know the one Lord, you know the one faith, you know the one baptism. Number four, our culture will continue to make it more difficult for the Christ follower and for the church to keep the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. Are you ready for that? I do not see this being easier as we go. That's why I keep coming back to this, quit talking about like, when we get back to, I hope we can get back to normal, it's ridiculous. We're never going back. My prayer is that each of us would feel what Paul felt, that, last one, it's worth it to walk worthy of our calling, the call to bring glory to Christ. Let's not let anything undermine that great opportunity for that devil is working overtime he has successfully I think divided our nation and I don't know I, I don't know actually what's gonna continue to go on here <laughs> Joe Biden or President Trump at this point either one of them could say it can call to unity and they're pfft, whatever they're not the one that should be screaming a call for unity. It should be the church. <laughs> it should be the church. I don't know if I believe any of it anymore out there. But I believe this. <laughs> this is what this is what you should believe this is what's most important. So at the end. I will be up here with these cards, all right? I think we need to get after it. I think this is what our world needs us to do. I think we need to respond. And uh, so I expect at least 50 or 60 of these to, to be taken today, okay? Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord God, uh, we wanna be in unity and in peace. We know this is really important so that the message that you've given us to explain who Jesus is to the world is not undermined and distracted and gummed up. Um, Help us to be faithful and striving hard um, to love each other and rally around these things that are most important. Thank you, Lord God, that you provide Jesus to be the head of the church connect us in such a significant way, the ultimate way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as we continue in the book of Matthew. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the videocast of this message, please visit our website at www.veilchristian.com.